You are listening to the Maddox Podcast, hosted by the Maddox Real Estate Team. Jason Maddox, Jamie Abitia, and Katrina Pryor, presented by Painless Podcast. To learn more about our services, check out our website at maddoxrealestate.com. Before we get started on our podcast, here's Robert Ring with our market in a minute. Let's talk about interest rates for a minute. So rates uh, have been super low for a very long time now, uh, coming on about a year since they initially dropped to kind of uncharted territories. Uh, We started to see them tick up in the beginning of January after the government changed hands. Um, And that was really over a concern that uh, debts would rise, our national debt would rise, and that pushed something called the Treasury yield up. And when the Treasury yield goes up, that can have uh, a negative impact on interest rates, meaning it can also move interest rates up as well. Um, At the moment, that had a negative impact on the stock market as well. Since then, rates have recovered most of that loss, um, and the stock market is obviously doing very well until Friday and now Tuesday, because yesterday was President's Day and we were closed, uh, rates have ticked up even more. So there's a lot of news coming out right now. The NAHB uh, housing market index is coming out. Uh, The Fed minutes are coming out soon. We've got initial jobless claims coming out this week, existing home sales. So a lot of things to look for that can shake up the market a bit. Um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac estimate that this year rates will continue to go up. Uh, We'll see what happens. I think there's a lot of appetite by the Federal Reserve to continue to buy mortgage bonds, which will keep rates down. But that's going to be tugged on by things like inflation, which we're seeing a little bit of in the goods industry. uh, And that'll come back in the service industry once everything opens up. So... I would say the takeaway is if you're ready to buy, if you're ready to refinance, jump on it now while rates are low and don't miss out on these historically low interest rates. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Hey guys, welcome to episode six of our podcast. Um, I think today we're just going to keep this really real and talk like we would have a conversation in our office about you know, what the market's doing and, and what it takes to be a buyer right now, um, what questions buyers are asking us, that's really big, and just kind of keep it real. Yeah, I had, uh, I met with, uh, met with a client this morning and she asked me three specific questions and I thought we could kind of dive into those and sort of answer them for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then I think uh, Katrina wants to uh, also talk about, she just got a buyer accepted on a property. So she wants to kind of talk about what it takes to get accepted these days. Um, so yeah, so let's, let's kind of, let's get started. Um, so this morning I met with a client, she asked me uh, three specific questions. She said, uh, if, if I use down payment assistance, where in the pile am I going to land uh, in this competitive market? Uh, the other question was, if the if you send me a comparable report and the property has a specific value based on comparable sales, does that mean that's fair market value? Um, and then uh, the other question was, should I wait to buy or you know, what, what's, what's going to happen in the next few months in real estate? What's going to happen in the summertime? Is now a good time? So anyway, let's, uh, let's kind of start with you, Jamie, as far as uh, what you think um, with those yeah. questions. I'll kind of touch on them and I'll, I'll kind of give my, um, what seems to be my usual spiel to buyers these days, kind of telling them what the market's like. So 
answering out of order, of course, you know, should I wait till March? Well, I think one thing that we've always said, and any of us would say it is, you know, it really depends on if it's a right time for you. If it's a good time for you to be a buyer right now, then it's a good time to buy. Uh, we're in a bit of a weird market because even though it is more of a seller's market due to low inventory, it's still a great time to be a buyer because interest rates are so low. There's just a lot of competition out there, right? So the things that some buyers might be willing to do to get a property are uh, a bit extreme. But then even with that said, I've always said you know, if you can buy a piece of real estate, that is going to be the best investment that you've ever had. No, no account that you could put your money in is going to get you the same return, I would say. So um, it's really, it just depends if it's a good time for you. And if you can become a homeowner, there's really no time like the present because we can't predict what the market's going to do, right? And even if the market drops to tomorrow and the home, your home value drops by a hundred thousand, it's okay. It's you're in the Bay Area. It's going to come back up. You know, you kind of have the luxury of being able to ride those ebbs and flows, which seem to always come right back and, up. And I would, I would add to that as long as you can afford. But that's if, true. You know, yeah. If if it's the right time for you financially, if um, you know whatever your circumstances may be. I mean, sometimes you do get put into situations where you're pressured to buy because maybe your lease is ending, or you know. We're just in a weird time with COVID, so there's really no, uh, nothing really makes sense right now. Renters are kind of have more power, but, you know, sometimes you do get into situations where you kind of feel forced to like, maybe I just should go buy a house instead of renting again. And um, it really depends on, yeah, if it's the right time for you financially. Right, right. Katrina, you want to add anything to that? Sure. I, I agree with that completely. If it's, a, if it's a good time for you, what I would say is, if you're willing to compete, it's a great time to buy. Um, mm -hmm. If you're more hesitant and you don't want to remove certain contingencies, and we can kind of talk through, you know, what those are and, and maybe what we all do to make a competitive offer for our buyers. If you're a bit more reserved in that case, and you don't feel that you want to do, uh, you know, take certain risks that are necessary in order to get an offer accepted, then I would say, you know, maybe we hit the pause button a little bit. Um, you know, maybe we see what the market is doing to a place where you're comfortable. But I can tell you from my experience, unless I have buyers that are just, they're ready, they're willing to compete, they're taking the recommendations that I'm providing. I just had an offer accepted yesterday. I'm really excited about that. Nine other offers on that particular home. Um, and they really kind of followed the recommendations and understood what it took to get an offer accepted. And, um, you know, they're thrilled. I'm thrilled for them. Mm -hmm. um, so if somebody's a bit more reserved, they don't want to take the risk, I would definitely say maybe, maybe there could be more homes on the market come spring. You know, maybe there's more selection in March. Maybe it dilutes the, the, the current inventory a little bit and you don't have to compete as you know, you don't have to, uh, to compete in certain scenarios, um, you know, within the offer. So it, it's really, I would say it's, it's really dependent on the buyer, the particular one that I'm working with at the time to kind of really gauge their comfort level. Uh, and if I feel just a lot of hesitation, then, then, then maybe I would say, you know, honor that hesitation and maybe that's a time to pause. But if they're just, let's do it, let's go, what is it gonna take? you know, we trust and value you, let's do it. 
those are the those are the those are the buyers that are that are going to get their offers accepted. Right now, and and I don't want to discount uh, payment down payment assistance programs and things like that, of course. Uh, but you know, in the reality of the mix of what's going on right now, like what do we see? You know, the the specific question was, where in the pile am I going to be if I'm a down payment assistance offer? Uh, versus other people versus conventional versus a little bit higher down payment, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, what do you like, what are your thoughts? What are you guys' thoughts on, on that in particular? So uh, to be completely candid, and this is usually how I, you know, explain it to my buyers. It's a great time to be a buyer because interest rates are low and there are so many programs out there that do offer down payment assistance, which can really be helpful to buyers, right? but it can mean that it's, it's gonna extend the time it takes for you to finally get an offer accepted. And I think in the competitive state that we're in right now, we're seeing a lot of these assistance or you know, maybe you need a credit back or something. Um, they do kind of go bottom of the totem pole, I would say, because you have to think like a seller. You know, When you're a seller and you're sitting down, you're reviewing offers and you're, you don't know these people, you don't know who the buyer is, you don't know what their story is, you don't know that they're deserving of this, right? You're strictly looking at the facts. Um, oftentimes they'll review it in like a spreadsheet form. So if you have somebody who is coming in, you know, with all cash, that's kind of a, a done deal in a lot of people's eyes, as long as the price makes sense. Of course, if they're cash, they're the lowest offer, maybe not so. But, you know, cash is kind of king in a sense, I would say, because it's the least risk, right? That person is just paying. It's about a seven to 10 day escrow tops. And they're going to, you know, it's a quick and easy process for the seller. And now if they have no cash offers on the table, because they not all the time do, then they might be looking, uh, they might be ranking the financing from there. So, you know, typically you would have conventional, I would say conventional 20% and above would be the next best uh, financing possibilities out there. Then you would go down from there, you know, conventional 10%, conventional 5%, whatever it might be. And then FHA falls a little bit below that strictly because it's three and a half percent down, you know, it's a little bit lower. And then after that, then you get into the, the people that are, who's asking for a credit back, who has down payment assistance. You know, the down payment assistance isn't an issue if you're strictly just getting money and it doesn't affect the seller, but oftentimes you do need to ask the seller for credit towards closing costs. And then at the end of the day, you know, the seller's having to weigh, well, should I be giving somebody money when somebody over here is offering to pay above appraised value? Because then the seller is going to be not only tied to the appraised value, but then they have to give you some money on top of that, which means that the property has to appraise and they're still taking a lesser amount because they're giving you some back. Right. So, you know, just being completely honest, it, it may take a little bit longer. Now, if we see the market shift a little bit, more inventory truly does come out like we are hoping and praying um, towards maybe March or April. And we can't predict that. But if more inventory does come out, then maybe, you know, the sellers aren't going to have as many offers to choose from. And that's the time when we can get those more creative offers, um, you know, maybe get them accepted. No, that's great. Katrina, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I, it's... Um... It is, it's a, it is a challenging time for buyers, but I still always encourage, like if, if you know, you have your area, there's, I still have plenty of buyers that are in the market. We're just waiting for the right home. Um, in terms of the down payment assistance, in fact, with this offer that I just was accepted on, 
one of the one of the critiques of the offer was, well, you're only 10% down. And I had to say, we're actually 20% and 10% because we actually have two pre-qualification letters. We have one for 20% down, we have one for 10% down. And I said, the reason why we're choosing 10% down is because we're removing inspection contingencies and they wanna have additional funds because it's lower risk to the seller so they can do the updates, any kind of repairs. So while in fact they're qualified for 20%, we want to have the loan at 10% so they have flexibility. Oh, well then that changes things. That's a right? really that, good that, that opens up kind of a, you know, a whole other less risk for the seller. Right. So, so oftentimes I will, uh, you know, if, if the client is shopping for lenders, I will say, give me two pre-approval letters because it just adds another layer of strength to our offer. And it allows them to see that you're choosing while you're qualified for 20% down, you're choosing a certain one. That's um, a great strategy. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's, like I said, it's just another layer of strength because every little layer in this market, um, it really does help. Uh, I always say it's sometimes it's not one big thing that's gonna determine uh, if we're accepted or not. It's a hundred little things. <laughs> and, and we talk, we talk about the pros and cons of each of those different layers uh, within the offer. Right. So, so you just mentioned um, is that they remove their inspection contingency. So maybe we can kind of explain even more so the process for anybody who's very green to all this process, uh, what that what that means, what that looks like. You want to explain that a little bit? Sure. I, so I always say the way I explain it is there's three stop signs, right? Each of them are very, uh, you know, we have stops. The, ver the first stop is the inspection contingency. And if you remove an inspection contingency, it essentially means whatever is found in the home from your inspections, because you can still do inspections, but whatever is found that needs repair, you cannot go to the seller and ask for um, any kind of credit, ask them to do the work or request a, a lower offer amount because of, because of um, any repairs that are needed. So again, you take on more risk as a buyer doing that. It is less risk for the seller and anything that is less risk, uh, of course, it's going to be more attractive. Right. So I'm always concentrating on how many, how many, uh, a contingencies a buyer is willing to remove. And so there's three contingencies, the three stop signs, right? It's the inspection contingency, it's the appraisal contingency, it's the loan contingency. And so with the, with the inspection contingency, I have to be careful because if it's an older home and they don't have reports, the seller does not have reports on the home, we have no idea the condition of the home. So we have to be very careful. The one, uh, this last offer was a home 2004, so it was fairly new. I, you know, I, I'm already familiar with the area, so I'm familiar with the condition of the homes in general. And I presented the, the aspect of removing that inspection contingency. We still got all the inspections. We got a roof inspection, a pest inspection, a home inspection, but it's only for their knowledge. It's, it's for them to be informed but right. not that we could go back and request anything from the seller. So that's what it means by removing inspection contingency. And unless 
a buyer removes inspection contingency, honestly, they have a very low chance right now at getting an offer accepted unless they do. Now it comes at great risk, but it's it's one of uh, it's one of the myriad of ways to to get an offer accepted is by removing that. So that's actually a good point. There was a home recently on the market and it received a ton of attention, um, ended up getting 21 offers and the top three offers had removed all in all contingencies, meaning they didn't care about inspections, they didn't have any loan contingency and they didn't care about appraisal price, which are three really big things um, to risk being a buyer. And the crazy thing was, is that there was actually no inspections on the property anyway. So, you know, the home was remodeled. It was in uh, seemingly nice condition cosmetically, but like you said, you know, we might not know what's going on on the back end. Now, the home wasn't built in 2004 and it was built maybe in 1950 or 60, then we might be um, taking a big, bigger risk because this is the time when older homes are gonna really start needing maintenance, right? Siding, um, who knows what's going on under the house, roof may need to be done or whatever it may be. So that is a really big risk. And that's where we get into kind of some tricky territory with the market right now, because you know buyers are having to decide, am I willing to risk it? Am I willing to just move forward with the house that I don't even know the full story on? Or do I wanna be a little bit more conservative? And that's when I tell my buyers, you know, if you want to be conservative, I will 100% back you. And of course, even my professional advice is, I don't know that I would suggest doing that unless I fully outline the risk and they're willing to still move forward. Um, but it's that's, I think, what adds to the challenge right now a little bit as a buyer is that some people are just willing to do whatever it takes. And with that said, too, I think that Sometimes as a buyer, it takes maybe losing out on a few properties before you kind of have that fire in you like, I don't care anymore. Now I feel like I know houses. Now I feel like I can take on anything. I've seen all the reports. I, you know, you kind of learn the process and now you might be that buyer that's willing to remove contingencies because you just feel a lot more confident or comfortable doing so than you might have on day one or offer one. So true. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I recommend when, when I recommend based on their comfort level, you know, I'll say here are the different ways. I'm telling you the first time I do that with, with first time clients, they look at me like my face is on fire. They're just like, you're gotta be kidding me. Like this lady has no idea what she's talking about. And when we go through the process and we make an offer or two and what they feel is very competitive and we're like, sorry, you're 10 out of 12, then it's just an educational process. And then just like you said, Jamie, by, by the third or fourth one, they're like, okay, let's do it. Like, what do we need to do? You know, let's, let's hit the ball out of the park. And those are the offers that get accepted. Right. And also in addition to the inspections, Jay, do you want to kind of talk about the appraisal situation right now and you know, what market value is, homes mm -hmm. value is kind of that whole thing? Yeah. So, so the last couple of properties, uh, one being a buyer, one being my listing, uh, both appraisals came in under value, uh, under what the, and what that means is it came in under the price that was, was offered, one being 600, one being 700, and both of them actually came in about 15,000 under uh, the price that the, that the buyer was willing to pay at that point. So um, basically what, what that means is 
uh, when we when we go and offer on a property and we have a value in mind, we're, we're taking those numbers of the most recent properties that have sold and we're putting together a value on what we think the property might appraise for. Now, in this case, maybe 685 is, is where I think it might appraise, something like that. Well, you know, the, 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 the competitive offers out there are above that. They're like 700 and, you know, 715, things like that. And what, what that means is uh, fair market value doesn't necessarily mean what it's going to appraise for. It means what the buyer is willing to pay for that property. So, you know, if the property in this case, uh, the property appraised for 685, but the buyer was willing to pay 700,000 for it. So what that means is if it appraises for 685, the buyer on top of their down payment, they have to come in with an extra $15,000 to put together that deal. Now, when that closes escrow, now that property closes at 700 and that gives that appraiser uh, now a new value to compare other properties to. So it just sort of inches the market up. And that's what I was trying to explain to my, my buyer this morning. I said, look, you know, I think the property might be in this case, it was a condo. And I said, I think the property might be worth 390, but that doesn't mean somebody's not going to come in and offer 400 or 405, you know? Um, and what, and she doesn't have the luxury, unfortunately, to come in with the extra cash to make up the difference in appraisals. So somebody might have that luxury and go, we don't care. We're going to either pay cash for it or we're going to get a loan for it or we're going to do the strategy that Katrina just mentioned, which was great, which we have 20%, but we're going to go in 10% just in case something happens and we need to come in with an extra uh, you know, box of cash to get that to, 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 uh, to go to... Uh, appraise and, and move forward. So it's, uh, it's definitely a strategy. And, and um, I, it, it's hard for people to, to kind of understand. And so that's why I think it's important that we talk about that. And if I can add, oh, go ahead, Jamie. No, I was going to just say, explain a little bit why an appraisal still matters in that case, when you have these competitive offers, you know, why do we still need an appraisal? Obviously, I know, but explain to people. Yeah, we, I mean, we need the appraisal because of the loan. So if you're if you're if you're paying all cash for it, then you don't need an appraisal. I mean, you're you're gonna pay, say, four hundred thousand for this property, and now your neighbors, all the neighbors, get to thank you because you've just upped the value of their properties. But when you're dealing with a loan, the 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 lender needs to know that the the property the value is there. And so, you know, and, the, and the, the client and the lender are protected by the appraisal. So they don't want to loan you more money than the property's worth, obviously, right? So once the, um, the appraisal comes out and say, in this case, it appraises for 390, but the client offers 400, the appraiser set, or the uh, lender basically says, we're going to give you a percentage of that and you have to make up the difference because we're only loaning you what the appraised value is, not what you're willing to pay. So, yeah. But let me add, the buyer only has to come up with the difference if they remove the inspection, uh, the appraisal contingency. Right. So that's another way of strengthening an offer is not remember the three stop signs. So you, we've removed the inspection contingency. Now, when you move remove the appraisal contingency, you're essentially saying, if the appraised value of the home is lower than what I offer, 
I'm going to make up the difference in cash. So you can see that's another way that is a less risk for a seller because if that same, uh, you know, three hundred eighty thousand dollar value home, um, and you offer four hundred, yeah, you're coming. You have to make up that difference if you removed the appraisal contingency. And so, two very strong ways of strengthening an offer: remove inspection contingency, remove appraisal contingency. I know that with this offer, I'm kind of on the higher end. We are really <laughs> hoping that the appraised value is the same as our offer amount because while the clients are ready to make up the difference, of course they don't want to. Mm -hmm. um, and so I know and they know we're on the higher end of that appraised value. We will be you know, scraping it by our teeth if we, if we get there. Um, and that's, you know, that's why the offer is accepted because it was an aggressive, low risk to the seller offer. Um, and so that's the, that's the, 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 the removing the appraisal contingency. Uh, like Jason said, the lender's only gonna give you what the, what the appraised value of the house is. Anything extra is, uh, is going to be buyer's responsibility. Right. What's our next topic? So I know one of the questions was, are um, Panola and Hercules still one of the best places to buy or something like that? Yeah, um, we, were, we were just, so I, I, another client had said to me uh, a couple days ago, actually, hey, I think people are catching on that Panola Hercules, that this is kind of the, uh, you know, the hidden gem of the Bay Area. So more people are moving over here. And I, and I agree. I mean, I'm noticing that properties that, in my opinion, you know, I mean, obviously the market's going to do what it's going to do, but I didn't think the property was worth that amount of money. And all of a sudden people are coming in and they're just paying uh, a bunch of money. And they're realizing that over here in the, in the East Bay, we can pay, you know, 30, 40% less than we would in Oakland or San Francisco, and we're only 15 minutes away. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's starting to sort of catch fire, um, you know, and the market's doing what it's doing, but you know, what, what are your, what are your thoughts on that, Jim? So I've always said that Pinal was our best kept secret, um, but I feel like Pinal and Hercules are starting to get a lot more attention. And I think it's because for a while there, we were seeing most people that were priced out of the city, but still had to commute to the city. So I think that's partially why the Oakland market has blown up like it has, right? Oakland is very expensive in most places, um, but it's very close to the city. And more people got priced out of the city, Oakland, you know, then it kind of, it kind of trickled down this way. So El Cerrito market is crazy, Albany, and now we're hitting into Pinole and Hercules, which are really the last stops before you have to cross a bridge. I mean, surrounding cities to El Sobrani, Rodeo, Crockett, all those areas. But the last stops that you have, you hit before you have to cross a bridge if you're commuting into the city, right? So I think a lot of buyers are coming this way and thinking, oh, wow, Pinole Hercules, these little towns over here, you know, I'd never heard of them, but they're great. You're 30 minutes from Napa. You're 30 minutes from the city. You're right in the middle of everything. So I, I call them our last commutable stops before you have to go into a whole new territory and, and think about another bridge that you have to cross, which right. just adds to traffic time and you have to pay the, the tolls and all of that. So um, yeah, they used to be our best kept secret, but I think they really are some of the last affordable stops as well before you have to venture off. And, you know, for the past few years, I've been saying, I think these might be the last 
we're heading into the last years that this area is truly affordable for you know the standard buyers that might be purchasing together both with full-time good jobs um you know you can still only afford so much at the end of the day and right now we're seeing prices just tick up and up and up we're seeing buyers that are willing to do some um you know kind of extreme things remove appraisal contingency remove inspections or even take on having inspections disclosed to them these large bills for things the repairs that do need to be made willing to take those on and saying i don't care i want the house anyway i'm willing to pay $15,000 for, you know, pest work or whatever it might be, a new $5,500 for a new sewer, you know. Right. So it's, it's an interesting time. Right. Katrina, you want to add to that? Yeah, it's, um, uh, it is, it is an interesting time. I, and I, I had a client uh, just yesterday say, okay, so, you know, we were talking about, you know, competing and she's like, well, what area around here is less competitive? <laughs> right. And I was like, that is a great question. Um, I can't think of one because Rodeo, um, you know, um, uh, Viewpoint, Viewpoint and Rodeo, so popular, beautiful homes. A lot of people who wouldn't consider Rodeo five, 10 years ago, um, that's, that is a, you know, it's a great, it's a great place. Uh, nice single family homes. Uh, I just made an offer on one. We didn't get it. And we made a very strong competitive offer. And um, I think that, was, that one needed a lot of work, right? And it needed, needed a ton of work. And yeah. she removed uh, inspection contingency, appraisal contingency. I mean, she was going all in. We came in with, an, with a number that I felt was very aggressive um, and we didn't get it. And that was right there in Viewpoint and Rodeo. Hercules, Pinole, um, it, it's just a sought after community. El Sobrani, I have a lot of buyers in all, El Sobrani. Richmond, um, Hilltop area, it's all very competitive. Uh, I wish I could determine what is less competitive. And honestly, there's not an, not an area around here um, that isn't. So, uh, you know, I kind of had to tell her, we have to be ready. If you're going to be in the Bay Area, <laughs> this, is, this is what it's going to take get, to get an offer accepted. I, I certainly didn't want to uh, dissuade her because they're, they're ready to buy um, right. and want to buy. Uh, she's not so, interested in waiting. It's actually an interesting point because I'm hearing, you know, seeing how competitive it is right now. I think that could potentially lead us into um, what I've heard a lot of people are doing is actually moving out of the Bay Area, right? Mm -hmm. Now that people are working from home more, a lot of jobs, jobs, jobs are going completely remote and uh, you don't even have to commute anymore. You don't have to go into the office. So a lot of people are picking up and moving out of California. So I'm very curious to see, and what do you guys think about this on how that might shift shift things a little too. If now we're seeing more people kind of leave, will buyer competition go down at all? You know, is that gonna uh, is it stimulate new inventory and how's that gonna work? What do you think? That's a really, really tough one. Um, yeah. I mean, I you, people are leaving every day, right? And people are moving to Texas and you know, Idaho and all that stuff. And we're, and we're still not seeing, they're putting their markets, their houses on the market and they're going like hot, like hotcakes. So, you know, the only thing I can say to that is people leave and they can't ever come back. Cause I think what's going to happen is it's just going to create this, you know, people want to live in the Bay area. It's just a great place to live. I mean, as, as much, 
you know, bad press we get and, uh, you know, governors and fires and all that stuff, it is an amazing place to live. And I wouldn't, I, I love it so much. I, I would always want to have a piece of property here, uh, you know, even if I moved somewhere else. But, you know, other people feel differently and that's fine. And um, I, I just, I don't really think that's going to have a lot of effect on the market. Uh, I, I mean, we, you know, right now it's just, it's just such a, a an odd time and I'm, we're just not seeing any, we're seeing this flow, but we're not seeing these, you know, these dips and I, I, we're going to have to because the market can't continue doing this forever, right? And there's going to be reasons for people. But um, I think as long as these things are in place, as far as like you know, people that are not able to pay their homes and things like that right now, as long as the, the foreclosures don't start happening, I really don't think we're going to see much of a decline, at least not for a while. Yeah, and if we yeah, if we think back to the 2000, what, 2007, yeah. eight, the lending process was so laxed. And um, I remember when I bought my first home, I don't, I don't even remember showing proof of income. I wrote it down on the application and I remember fibbing on the application. Uh, and I think a lot of people at that time were doing that. Um, and then, uh, like I said, there weren't the same type of policies and regulations that lending have in place right now. And so um, people, were, people were inflating their income and they didn't have to necessarily show their taxes and W-2s and statements and bank accounts and verification and you know, calling employers. Uh, they didn't have those type of regulations in place. And so people were purchasing homes that they couldn't afford or the lending vehicles were getting so creative to get people into homes that they only had to pay the interest and right. they didn't have to pay principal. And then that, when that balloon payment hit five years later, they're like, oh crap, I can't pay my house note now. And that didn't happen just to one person. It happened to millions of people. And right. so we have that crash. Well, since then, of course, lending, if anybody's ever tried to get a loan these days, uh, even just me refinancing, you're jumping through hoops. Um, it's uh, it's a circus act, honestly, sometimes because there's so much verification process to keep what happened then from happening again, at least in terms of of lending. Right. There's always going to be ebbs and flows. There's going to be market crashes. It's just happened throughout history. But as Jamie mentioned, if it's your single family home, if you're buying your home for the long term you write out that just like a long-term investment. You write out the ups and downs. And ultimately, if you look at the trajectory right over a long-term period, you're going to have that financial investment. You're going to have that increase uh, in the value of your home. Right. Real estate is long-term wealth. It's not something that you're going to buy a stock and you're going to, you're going to sell the next day. I mean, it's just not that. It is long term, and your and and it's your your home, your domain, your sanctuary. That is where you create your you know your memories. And what what value do you put on that? Yeah, and yeah. I, Jason says it um, best. But you know, oh, people say, "Well, I bought my house for seven hundred, and now it's worth six eighty five. And it's like, okay. And when it's worth seven twenty five, I mean, what are you going to do? So you have equity, and now you right. don't. You know, so it's really doesn't matter as long as long as you can comfortably make your payment and you're financially secure you can write it out you know yeah. it's always we're in the bay area at the end of the day this will always be a california market and it's always going to trend up over the long term yeah. i believe 
And um, that, that, that's funny because people will say that all the time. They're like, oh, I, I, you know, I've got $200,000 equity in my house. Well, what do you want to do? Nothing. Okay. Yeah. You know, that's your home. You know, that's, that's, you're not going to sell it tomorrow. I mean, you can, but where are you going? You got to move it's out. Right. Of I mean, it's a great yeah. investment, right? It's, it's a, it's a, it's a vehicle to, to hold money. Yeah. Uh, it's going to continue to grow until you need it either for equity line of credit. When you do decide to move retirement, you know, all of those things. So you're building wealth, but yeah, you're not going to just, I've got $200,000 worth of equity. Let's go ahead and sell it so I can buy a property that I'm going to lose that equity on anyway. <laughs> right. So, so you, you do have to think of, um, you know, at least your home is, is kind of a longer term investment. I'll have people ask, you know, they're getting into like rentals. Is this a good time for a rental? Well, you know, I can't, I can't predict what the market's going to do in one year, five years, or are you going to, it's a home that you're going to flip. Maybe, you know, I, I'm not able to, you know, state that you're going to have 40% worth of equity in, in one or two years. Um, but if it's, if it's a, a rental property that you're going to hold, it's going to be, you know, it's going to generate income for you for a longer period of time. Then I do feel comfortable saying that, um, chances are right because we can never say anything with certainty right. that it will overall be a, a good investment in the long term no absolutely i mean real estate's just the way to go i mean you know anyway yeah that's so let's break it down a little bit for people that again are very new to the process what does it take to become a first-time home buyer what do you need what do lenders look for you guys want to maybe touch on some of those topics First-time home buyer. Um, yeah. What? Well, you mean like uh, like the the qualification? Well, okay. So what I usually tell people is when they first call in, I say, okay, let me give you the you know the quick uh, recap recap of of what it takes, what the process is going to look like, and then as we go on, then I will you know really in detail break it down for you. So, what is the first step? First step is let's get pre-approved, right? We don't oh, know yeah. what price you should be searching up to unless you have a pre-approval. So in there, you're going to want to talk to a lender. Now, what are your what are your um, options as a first-time homebuyer? Well, a lot of people, I think, think, oh, first-time homebuyer, I'm supposed to do an FHA loan. I've heard that's the first-time homebuyer loan, which FHA loans are a great option for first-time homebuyers, but they're not the only option and they may not be the best option, right? So Right now, um, I was just talking to one of my lenders today, and he was saying that FHA has actually raised their credit score limits to around the 620 mark. They used to be 580. So FHA was always packaged as it's nice for first time homebuyers because it's not as sensitive. Well, COVID has definitely shifted things. So right now, the minimum score requirements are at 620, which is actually right in line with conventional limits. Right. So you, right. to get a conventional loan, you have to have the same score. So it really doesn't necessarily benefit you to go FHA. Um, if you can go conventional, that might be a better option. If you can go conventional, you know, 5% down, maybe 10% down, or of course you can go higher than that. I think another popular reason that people go FHA is because it's three and a half percent down minimum, of course, which is gonna be your down payment. Uh, another thing for buyers to keep in mind is that you're going to have closing costs. So that's something I always, you know, bring up first and foremost is that <clears throat> make sure you have an extra one to 2% in addition to your down payment set aside, usually about one and a half, 
set aside because we're going to have to worry about or think about closing costs when it comes down to it. So, you know, your down payment percentage strictly goes towards the loan. Closing costs are a separate thing. Um, and then you have your different conventional options, which we kind of touched on earlier, is, you know, how an offer is going to be weighed when it comes to strength. How much money are you willing to put down? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, FHA is a great program. But if we're competing against seven other offers that happen to be even 10% conventional, they were like, well, but you're not 20% conventional. Um, so there's, there's almost, I hate to say like a hierarchy, but when, when, when sellers agents and sellers are looking at, at offers, they really are, is it cash and cash is primary and then the higher amount of conventional and then 20% and then 10% and then 5% and then FHA, and then VA, and then the lower you start going, the less inclined the seller is to accept the offer because it does not, what they interpret is that it doesn't show financial strength of the buyer to kind of, to kind of um, be able to pick up pieces should any fall along the way in the transaction. You know, are you, yeah, you going to fall out of contract because of this $500 repair that might be needed that, that you have to take on? Yeah, and they're looking for who has the most skin in the game, right? If you're willing to put down 20% to purchase a property, that shows a little bit more strength than somebody who might only, you know, have three and a half percent to put down. And um, again, this is just a very candid conversation. I'm not saying this is how I agree. I definitely think that, and I will always support a buyer who has any, who has saved any amount of money to put down. Right. right? right. Being a homeowner, three and a half percent of thousand is a lot of money that you've saved up. So it's not to say that we're sitting here, you know, saying, yeah, you really need to, you know, I always encourage you to save as much as you can, but just know that in a competitive market, these are the types of things that you're up against. And, you know, when we're giving our professional guidance, it is to no benefit of us. It is to help you get the property. I think right. that's one of the biggest things I have to remind buyers is I'm giving you advice, but it's not just what I think. It's not my opinion. You know, it's I'm telling you the facts, what I'm seeing out there, what the competitive market really, what it means to put in a competitive offer and, and things like that. I think right. that's and important. And you want an agent who can strategize that. So you want a lender who's creative, you want an agent who's creative and you can put together a strategy like Katrina did uh, when you've got nine competitive offers you're trying to compete with and you know, you're explaining to them, look, I've, my buyer really has 20%, but we're doing 10 because of this. We really want the home so much that we're willing to, to take away the uh, inspection contingency and that, or, you know, release the inspection contingency. And that is important because you need that strategy. Some agents don't think that that far ahead and they just, you know, they think it, all it is, is let me just write a number on a piece of paper and submit it and see what happens. No, you need to have uh, strategic uh, things in place to get offers accepted, especially today. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing too, is that although price is definitely going to be category one and everybody's going to be looking at price first and foremost, the supporting terms really do have a huge impact on how uh, your offer is viewed as far as strength. So, you know, like we've talked about down payment, the inspection contingency, appraisal, even loan contingency, if you can get your loan pre-underwritten before you even make an offer, you might have to jump through a bunch of hoops and you don't even have to know why you're doing it yet. But once you do make an offer on a house and you're already ready to go and it's a very streamlined process from there, 
that just adds so much strength to, you know, your offer. Um, so those are the things that we really, like you said, it really takes an agent who can strategize and explain this to a buyer. One of the biggest things they tell my buyer is I want you to ask me any and every question you can. And I'm just going to throw knowledge out there at you and, and educate you as best I can before we even get to the point of making offers, because I want you to be able to compete. I don't want you starting with your first offer saying, you know, what if we offered under value? Um, you know, because we get a lot of that and it's like, I'm going to try to educate you as best I can before we even get to making offers because I want you to have a shot, you know? The other thing too, and I find this um, interesting is when people say, you know, should I wait? Is, is there going to be a correction? Is things, are things going to change? And one of the biggest things I always say is that I have seen more buyers become priced out of a market than I have seen, yeah, you know, ma magically get the, their dream home at a lower price because they waited. I, honestly, I don't even know if I've ever had that happen. Um, just in the time that I've been doing this, this, the market's been pretty strong these past 10 years. I mean, you know, we've, we've it's been strong. Yeah. We've definitely come back. So and there's, really, there's always reasons. There's always reasons to sit on the sidelines and I've seen it from, you know, uh, the current president and then it is, uh, you know, Bitcoin is dropping. And so maybe <laughs> that's going to, you know, or it's, you know, there's so many reasons why. And then COVID, in fact, I, I think of this person often because she had a, I mean, we had the offer, the place that she wanted and, and I completely understand. And that's why I always tell folks, honor, honor what you're feeling. And if you're feeling this isn't a good decision, you have to honor that, right? I'm not the person who's going to push and direct you in a, in, in a, in a place that you don't wanna be. So she just said, I, you know, COVID's happening. Everything's scary. I think that the market is going to tank. I don't think I'm going to move forward with, the, with, you know, taking the, the, the home. Cause it was, it was basically accepted. The offer was accepted. No problem. I understand your concern and completely priced out now <laughs> because that was a year ago. And I'm always thinking to myself, like that was such a great deal at the time. And now she's not able to get into the area, the complex or the city that she, you know, that she would have been able to a year ago. There's always gonna be reasons to stand on the sidelines, always, no matter what it is. Um, and, and when you do that, the market does continue to, to press on. Right. Yeah, I agree with you on what you said about, you know, honor your feeling. If you have hesitation and you really have true hesitation, I mean, I've had clients that have texted me at the day after getting an offer accepted and say, we slept on it and we're not happy. We just, we just did it because we felt that we had to. And that's, you know, it was the first house we could have maybe got accepted on and we're just, our heart's not in it. And I said, that's fine. I've always considered myself a no pressure agent, but I will give you a good amount of encouragement because I know that if it's, if it is what you want, then, you know, I can give you the strategies to get it. You tell me this is your house, this is your house, and we're going to do everything we can to get it. But if you do have hesitations, you know, you have to honor that. You really have to listen to yourself because you don't want to have buyer's remorse. You don't want to get too far into a situation that you feel that you can't come out of. And you know, in a competitive time like this, when you are taking high risks, you really don't have a lot of outs. If you're removing inspection contingency, if you're having to remove appraisal, uh, you really don't have any outs. So yeah, it's a very interesting time. 
It is. Well, uh, you know, we want to thank everybody uh, truly for, you know, who's watching this and listening to this. Uh, we're, we're new to the podcast uh, industry here and uh, we're hoping to continue and get better as we go. And, uh, you know, we really truly appreciate everybody who's subscribed and uh, is, is listening and watching. So, uh, and if you have any questions that you want us to address or, uh, you know, to answer, feel free to leave comments. Um, and go on our social media pages and uh, please leave comments. Just let us know. Uh, we love answering questions and, and you know, sharing the, the knowledge and education that we've learned along the way. So thanks again. And um, we'll, uh, we'll see you on the next one. Happy house hunting. <laughs>